Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Because the mama wants to be useful and helpful, and the daughter's like, I got it, mom. I got it. You don't have to wipe my nose no more. You don't have to check behind me. You don't have to make sure I got the sippy cup in the bag. I got it, mom. Well, that is true, and there's always some principles we have to learn as we get old, like how to properly set those boundaries, but how to properly honor the people God gave us because they're never not useful to us anymore. But there are boundaries. But this is important because the trajectory of the kingdom is that you actually never graduate past your need for your heavenly Father. Amen. We actually, spiritual maturity actually will lead us into more dependence. It actually is counterintuitive and it works the opposite way. The more we grow in Christ, the more we readily admit how much in need we are. And so if you would allow me, we'll spend just a couple minutes walking through these three very impactful verses and uh, we'll get out your way. Mark 10 and 13. We see now the evangelist Mark kind of pulls us into this really compelling scene of Jesus must be reclining or sitting somewhere. And all of a sudden, we see in verse 13 that people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus' response, when Jesus saw this, Jesus became indignant. Now, what we need to know, what we have to know, um, just in case you uh, don't know, uh, you know, if you need some Mark, we did our first whole sermon series. I think we spent two, two years in Mark, maybe two and a half um, as our first sermon series um, as a church. Um, so you can go back and, and, and reference that at any point. But essentially, if you're new to Christianity, you don't know anything, the disciples are always willing. We learned about Thomas. They are ride or die. They are committed. One of the things that we misunderstand about the disciples is how committed they were. In the natural, remember when Thomas said, hey, Lord, if you know we're going to die, we ready. We know what we signed up for. If it costs us our life, we'll go. But they, they don't always understand what Jesus is up to. They are really not unlike Nicodemus, who was trying to get his hands around. I'm trying to make sense of this man who has come in flesh, who can do things that other teachers can't do. He can teach, but he ain't studied up under none of the Pharisees or none of the other Jewish systems. I'm trying to figure out who he is, and Nicodemus misclassified Jesus. And the disciples seem to have a habit of misclassifying and misunderstanding kingdom principles, too. Because as Jesus is, as people are bringing the kids to Jesus, they're like, no, 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 no. And he rebukes them. I think one of the things that the disciples teach us, and I think it'd just be important for us to, just to throw in our back pocket to think on later. You, we are not very far from the disciples. We always say it, but I think it's true. We ought not read the scriptures with arrogance. And maybe a good starting position for following Jesus, maybe a good starting position um, for, for trying to learn about Jesus is just to maybe assume that your instincts are leading you to probably be more wrong than you are right. 
I know you didn't like that, but I'm going to say it one more time. I think it's just a better, more humble posture in your walk with Jesus as you continue on this journey just to assume that your brokenness, depravity, the where you come from, the su- su- surroundings that you have been influenced by have probably let you, led you in a place where you're more likely to misunderstand what's going on in the kingdom than you are to bullseye it. Just come with humility. We'll talk more about it today. So the disciples, they think they got this thing figured out. Jesus is sitting there. They're, people are trying to bring the kids to Jesus. They're like, no, back up, back up. And then Jesus is like, ah, ah, ah. Jesus flex. I know y'all have been reading all the books and all the psychology and podcasts, but I just want to know if there's some good mamas out here and daddies who have demonstrated some appropriate righteous anger. Amen. Amen, somebody. Jesus got indignant. Y'all rebuking the kids. Jesus didn't, he didn't, he didn't come with a gentle, hey, fellas, maybe we should reconsider. No, Jesus piped up and turned up and said, ah, 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 this ain't how we do it. Y'all like how I did that? <laughs> you know, some of y'all, y'all were late. Some of y'all were late. And Montel would have been displeased with y'all, but it's back to the text, back to the text, back to the text. What? The disciples just missed, according to Mark 9, they just had another episode that was very similar. Mark 9 and 35, Jesus says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. In verse 36 of Mark chapter 9, he says, he took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not, me, d- does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Now, let me just help you as good Bible expositors. Sometimes stories are a little bit disjointed. And you, you, do you realize that some of your stories that appear in your Bible aren't necessarily in chronological order? It wasn't that this happened right after this and right after this and right after that, right? These, these evangelists piece these stories together for a, a, a more, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, a, a literative purpose, right? This is not just a chronological history, historomony, deuteronomy. I think it was the books of the Bible that just messed me up. I, did y'all see me back there? I was... Basically, when they went to triple speed, I got all of it, but y'all weren't paying attention. Deuteronomy, Caleb was like, is Pastor Tim speaking in tongues right here? I was like, I "I got it. Don't worry about me. I got it. It was my heavenly language. But what we do know is I think I picked this up from Downline. Shout out Ken and Vaughn. Is that essentially some of these stories that we get one time, it is assumed by, you know, serious expositors that some of these stories, the Beatitudes, for instance, Jesus has probably preached 500 times. Like these are principles that if we've walked with this man for three years, he's said this thing to multiple different audience multiple times. I think it's safe to assume that why Jesus is mad is because he has already laid out the parameters for how we deal with children and why they are so important. He's not mad at them for intuitively missing something that he's never taught them. That's why we study to show ourselves approved. 
But I think once we study and once we have accumulated, you are responsible now for what you know. So he's upset with them because he's laid out this principle. And in Mark chapter 9, the principle was a little different, but it's hovering around the same big ideas. He says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. So there's this idea that, hey, man, these children, whoever they are, they represent something. And whoever has time for them, whoever welcomes and receives these children is actually welcoming the Godhead and his life force into their life. That's what he says in chapter 9. Let's talk about children. When the Bible is offering us in Mark 9 and 10, and it's talking about children, and it's bringing us this imagery and making these metaphors, I think we need to understand that um, what the Bible is not, it's not talking about little sweet baby Mackie back there with all them cuddly little kissies and, you know what I'm saying, with his little nook nook and got his grandma there, you know, on Rachel's first Mother's Day. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. We not talking about that sweet little cushy baby. Y'all look back there and see Carter rocking that baby. Look at, God, look, and look at all the daddies rocking baby Levi back there. When the Bible is talking about little children, that's not what they're trying to draw your attention towards. This is not VBS. This is not Sunday school. As a matter of fact, it's not, it would not be surprising that children um, back in ancient societies probably could be arguably the most marginalized in all of those societies. Children had probably the least rights in those societies. They are extremely vulnerable. They have no power. They have no assets and equity. They basically are completely dependent on who they belong to. They're very vulnerable. One commentator says that for Jesus, this idea of welcoming children, it's humbly caring for people of lowly status out of obedience to Christ. That's why he says, in my name. Those people will be rewarded by rich personal fellowship with both the Son and the Father. That would have been the principle that the disciples would have been discipled into. This is the reason why Jesus is mad at them for not allowing the children to come to him because it's like, man, brother, what we are about at our core is welcoming those who are on the margins, welcoming the outcasts, welcoming those who the world has cast away or devalued. That's what we are. The children represent all that is a part of that. And so he goes on to say in verse 14, he said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. D.A. Carson goes on to say that little children were not considered old enough to understand or obey the law. So now we're putting our soteriological lens on. Now we, we're making this, try to make sense in a kingdom format. That essentially, remember, Nicodemus was like, man, I understand about the kingdom. You know, basically the people who can get into the kingdom, they're basically the people who, who do good, who understand the law, who respond appropriately. And guess what? I'm a teacher of the law. I know the law inside and out. I know I'm going to be in the kingdom. Jesus is flipping all of the, the mores and the, and the norms and the expectations on top of their head. He's like, the people who think they know things and who think they could get into my kingdom based on their resume and righteousness, those are the people who should be most afraid. And the people who should be most confident are people like these children. Well, PT, what do the children represent? Well, 
the children represent the picture of dependence and humility. You could write it down somewhere. What is this message about? Who does the kingdom of God belong to? And what do the children represent? They represent dependence and humility. Dependence and humility. This is no small thing. You know, after we get through uh, Mark 13 through 17, Jesus goes on. I think I, I need to, we, somebody needs to do some work and where the Bible scholars at? Jesus is always adamant either about confusing people and perplexing them and telling them, hey, you think you're talking kingdom stuff, but you actually don't know what you're talking about. Or he is always telling people how hard it is to get into the kingdom. He goes on, Jesus in Mark 10, later on, I just, this is the rich young ruler. After Jesus has his dialogue with him, the disciple, Jesus says in verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it, it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, well, then who can be saved? Do y'all see what's going on? Everybody's trying to lower the bar. Jesus keeps raising the bar. You know, we go home. Noah was, uh, he always got to be dunking on the little gold we bought. And I'm always raising it up. And he just puts it down. I think that's what we try to do with the kingdom of God. You can't do that, y'all. You cannot do it just because the grace is free. It does not make it any less difficult to accept the grace. It is free, and that is absolutely 100% true. And it flows to the lowest valley, oh, the blood. But, boy, it's difficult for you to cross that step. It's difficult for you to cross that chasm. And we got to stop making it seem like it's so easy because Jesus is always trying to convince us that it's hard. And this is why he comes back to children being the picture of those who are, should be assured that they're the type of people who are there to inherit the kingdom. Verse 15, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, he placed his hands on them and blessed them. Why children? Why the metaphor of children? Why the metaphor of sheep? Right? The another thing God uses to try to correlate what it looks like, who the people look like who are actually experiencing eternal life. It's because they're, they're the most humble and dependent pictures that he could give us. Humility. D.A. Carson says, just the idea behind humility are those who realize they are least before God. Everybody say least. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. Anybody want to argue me that they are less deserving of the grace of God than me? I know you don't because I know I'm the least deserving in this room. Nobody needs the mercy of God more than I do. Nobody needs the grace of God more than I do. Nobody was as far away as I was. Nobody, not none of y'all. And if you believe that for yourself, you might have some words for me later. PT, no, nah, brother. 
I heard you, but you don't know my story. See, one of the very first principles in, that, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Basically, blessed are those who realize their impoverished state before God. That's who gets the blessing, the people who realize that they are least deserving. What I have come to find out in my little two decades of ministry is that we got a bunch of middle, upper middle class rich Christians. You ain't poor enough. How about that for a great economic reversal? Everything we do in the secular world is for more stability, more security, more assets, more stability. But if you want to thrive in the kingdom of God, you better be depleting your assets. You better realize how impoverished you are, and you might want to start taking delight in it. I know that don't make you happy, but it's right. But it's true. The blessing finds the needy people, y'all. The blessing always finds the needy people. That's why he always says, I give, uh, uh, I resist the proud, but who gets the grace? The humble and the needy, y'all. You better figure out how to keep that cup empty. Because Jesus doesn't like to fill in on the margins. That's not really his thing. He's not the cherry on top of the cake. He is the cake or he's nothing to you. What is he to you today? Are you coming like a child, humble, recognizing your neediness? Do you know the ultimate expression of pride is resisting help when you truly need it? Which then precludes us to this, that, you know, you, 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 you know, outcasts, people who are in need, are the most likely candidates for the grace of God, but they're not automatic candidates for the grace of God. Because some of us been around to know. Some of y'all been in college, you know what I'm saying? And you know what? The refund check didn't come through, and you made a little mistake, and you didn't renew your room, and all of a sudden, you go, oh, Lord, I don't want to tell mama that I'm sleeping in the car. I don't want to send the letter home and let them know I ain't got nothing to eat. And guess what? You suffered because of it, because you got pride. Just because you're needy don't mean that you're humble. And some of the most impoverished people on this planet are the most proud people. Just because you're hurting doesn't mean you're ready to be a candidate for God's blessing because you got too much pride left in you for him to heal you. I love when the man came to Jesus. He said, the man just came to him. Jesus said, what do you need me to do for you? I need you to say it. Some of you are so proud you won't even say what you have need of. You ain't even let that words ever come out your mouth that I'm lonely, that I'm afraid, that I'm scared. And I just want to tell you, until you're ready to admit your condition, what can he do for you? 
Because you think that's a sign of, you know, really, low self-esteem is really pride. It's the constant revolving around self and the inability to say, I need, I need, I admit I don't have what I need. I admit I can't figure it out on my own. Somebody help me. And unless you're willing to be the five-year-old toddler who just screams out for help, then you don't understand how to get and live life in the kingdom. Are you needy? Are you a middle-class Christian? See, children are humble. They just know, <laughs> I think they're well aware that they don't have status, they don't have assets, they can't do anything for themselves. They know the world they live in, they're humble, they're aware of that. Which ultimately means that they're dependent. One writer says that children do not expect to pay their par parents for food. You know, we, we, have to, we have to sometimes have that kind of conversation with our kiddos. Um, Y'all better tell Gina to stop communicating with me while I'm preaching. <laughs> she, was giving me some, she was giving me some good sermon analogies. I love my baby. But children, we do not expect parents to pay for their food. They receive the, 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 the food they receive or the clothes they wear. They simply trust their parents to just care for what they need. Like, listen, I'm sure our children are so confused because we're always trying to remind our kids how much money we do not have. I don't know how much, I don't know if I get a, can I get a witness out there, somebody. Y'all had, had mamas like that. We, don't, we can't afford that, and we don't got this, and we don't got that. And we don't. So we have discipled them into that, and uh, so I don't feel bad because sometimes they'll come in there like, oh, Dad, I, you're going to McDonald's money. And then I get mad. Man, don't, don't, don't you come here offering me no money. Boy, I take care of you. I give you all you need, boy. So I know I have, I, this is just a moment of, I, forgive me, children, I have confused you. Because I do delight. No parent doesn't delight in seeing their children have what they need and seeing them flourish. And children, in return, are, they just live in that safety, security, and expectancy. Like, I'm just going to go to my dad. I'm just going to call my mom. Sometimes we're, we're learning and growing through what that looks like to just go to our parents and tell them we need to be an hour away, but we forgot all our clothes. And, okay, we're growing. We're learning. Amen. So I'm going to call my, my coach and my church member to come pick me up and say, okay, we're growing. But that's the instinct. Our babies are to live in a space where they just, man, what I need is going to get taken care of. I might not get to go to Disney, but I have every reasonable expectation to know that I'm safe and I'm loved and the essentials to my life are going to be met. But that's the dependency we need. When I went to Midtown Baptist last week, just to encourage them, I just encouraged them with the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven. 
And I took that because in my own personal devotions, I was reading through the Heidelberg Catechism. And in the first question on the Lord's Prayer, it says, why does, why does our master instruct us in the opening lines of the prayer to say, our Father? And, and, and the, it's, the catechism is so beautiful. It is to remind us before we even get into the petitions of who we are coming to and the posture we should have. It should invoke in us a spirit of childlike trust before we even get to what I need. I want to remind you before we get started, I am your father and I love you. And I am not just a father. I am the model for all paternal instincts. I'm the best caretaker, mother, father, guardian you would ever have. I wrote the book on how to take care of people. That's who you come into. I wonder if you remember that. I wonder how that has jogged your mind and how it would jog your mind the next time you approach your heavenly father if you actually believe you had a good, good father who loved you and who delights in taking care of his children. He ain't like us who force, oh, God, here I go again. He ain't like me, but loves his children, wants good things for his children. I think because of this very tender nature of maintaining a childlike disposition, viewing God as our Father who has infinite resources and infinite patience and willingness to supply and take care of us, I believe, listen to me, and let me speak some healing into your world. I believe that is why probably it's the, it's the, uh, uh, the child-parent relationship that probably has experienced one of the most all-out assaults in all time in all of history. I think because this imagery is so important, that's why we're all sitting in here with mommy, daddy wounds. It's because the way we view our earthly parents is definitely affecting the way we view our heavenly father. And I believe the devil does a lot of work to keep that under assault. He does a lot of work to keep you guessing, to keep you reminiscing, to keep you sitting in bitterness and anger. And if you don't think that that is projecting on how you see your heavenly father, you're silly. I think the way that you're interacting with your biological people is definitely messing with and playing with. And that's why I do believe, maybe not if any other season, why not this season? Why don't we re-engage? Why don't we step back into some spaces and see if God does not have sufficient grace to start making progress and healing and mending some wounds and walking in more healing? Because it's that imagery. Do you realize that the way you love your little babies and the way that you raise them, we talk a lot about attachment and this idea that essentially how children and how adults grow up to see their world is largely, uh, 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 the research say, largely about how uh, the needs were met, the emotional needs were met when they were young. What are you saying, PT? I'm just saying practically, do you realize mom and dad how evangelistic your child rearing is. 
how apologetic the 18 years that you get to spend with your kiddos is in helping them form a theology that is right and it's true and it's accurate. That the way they, the thoughts they project on their heavenly father can begin with how they felt inside of your home. Do you take it that seriously? Because ultimately, the people who make it into God's kingdom believe they have a good, good father who hears and loves and cares and is fully capable and willing of doing good things in their life. This is why this whole sermon series about faith has just been incessant with asking, coming, receiving, because those actions are the fruit of faith. When you keep going, <laughs> one, of my, one of my children, you know, when, you know, what's the little spider thing in the mall with the flimsy hands? You go down and pick the thing up. Oh, the claw, Lord Jesus. One of my kiddos, we didn't put $50 into the claw machine. They just believe one of these times is going to be my time. There you go. There you go. One of my children. There you go. They outed themselves. Because he, he still believes. When you, when you act, you demonstrate the faith. This is why the life of faith is always conjoined with prayer, because prayer is where we make our petition. That's why prayer is so important to your life. It's because it, it, you can read a lot of things, but don't mean you believe it. But when you ask your good father based on what the principles are, you are demonstrating that you have faith that he does. He is who he says he is and will do what he said he will do in your life. Keep asking. The children don't get the blessing because they stand off. They get the blessing because they come to him so that he can bless them. Are you still asking? Are you still receiving the kingdom? Are you still coming to the master? Or are you creating some kind of religious thing for yourself and then assuring yourself that based on how sincere you are and how devout you are, that you're in the thing? When the scriptures are clearly telling us that it's not about what you know, it's not about how sincere and devout you are, it's about how much you are willing to come and to keep asking and to keep receiving the truths of the kingdom. You won't be a part of God's kingdom because you studied enough or served enough. It's because you realize you could do nothing in your helpless state. You are a child. And it's only by trusting and believing that Jesus is good beyond measure and has set his affection on you and is determined to bless you both now and forever. Those people will be in heaven. Because they just kept believing that what he said is true, that who he is is right, and that he is faithful. I'm watching this new show, and uh, basically these people are trapped in some kind of underground thing. They don't know why they got there or how they got there, but they're there. And then all of a sudden, the, you know, the protagonists are, are this married couple. And so the wife, somehow she becomes aware of the truth that, hey, the reason they're telling us we're in here is actually false. And what they say is outside that we need to be afraid of, they're making that up. And so she brings that to her husband. And her husband doesn't know what to do with it. 
And I love because essentially they, they exiled this lady for believing or, or, or propagating lies. But the husband is in turmoil and anguish because he has not seen the outside world. But based on his relationship, he cannot discredit what his wife is saying. I think the reason why faith is always encased in faith and it's always placed in this understanding of relationship is because that is where the truth is really worked out. What it is that we will believe and who we will accept. We've got to either come on the basis of this relationship accepting our father to be true or the lies of the world. And it's always, this fight is always being worked out in reality where the reality doesn't always match up with my, what my daddy's saying. And I'm always in this perplexing situation of, am I in danger? Do I need to be fearful for my life? Or am I in safety because I'm in my daddy's presence? And it's so tough because you got to work out. Your lives are so real. You are running out of money. You have lost opportunities. And yes, there is friction and people are blocking you and there are enemies. But can he be your good shepherd? Is that the truth or is what you are experiencing the truth? I think the only option we have the people who get to experience kingdom life are the people to choose to humble themselves and to lean in to him with trust. And that's it. Would you close your eyes with me? Lord, this is so hard. We know enough. God, you don't know who I'm married to. You don't know how difficult it is to raise these children. You don't know how difficult it is to fi keep finishing this program or choosing this path. God, I'm praying for my friends out there, wherever they are. Maybe for those who don't quite know you or don't, who, who don't understand what Christianity is even all about. God, I pray that they maybe have been sobered up today. That you are the God who reject the people who try to earn your presence and your blessings based on their own resumes that whoever is in here under the sound of my voice, they're not too far from you, that they can just come, that people who get access to your kingdom life and blessings are the people who just choose to accept your truth, who understand their true condition helpless, and they just come and turn. God, I pray that those who don't know you would choose to make that decision for the first time. But God, that's not just how we enter into your kingdom. That's how we live in your kingdom. Never graduating past our point of helplessness. 
understanding that our maturity will oftentimes look like us realizing how much we really need you. That's why the scriptures admonish us, take heed lest you fall. We are, we are sheep always in danger without our shepherd. God, forgive us for becoming too haughty and proud and self-sufficient and thinking that maybe we're more secure than we are. Would you convince your people today how much they need you so that they can re- live in the richness of your blessing and fellowship? both now and forevermore. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. I will stand as we worship together.
mothers and fathers, guardians, stepmoms, aunties, all of them, all those people who demonstrated those instincts, those motherly instincts that helped us see our heavenly father better. God, we bless you. We thank you for their life. We thank you for the impact that they've made. We thank you for the measures of kindness. We thank you for their standards. We thank you, Lord God, the many times they've picked us up when we have fallen. God, we ask by your grace that we would continue to be mothers, guardians, aunts, whatever, fathers, parents, who demonstrate the kingdom ethic. That we would demonstrate character that our children would be eager to depend on and to put their trust in. And now, God, may we live our lives before our children, not as people who are be continually becoming more autonomous and independent, but that we would model before our children what it looks like to continue to live like a child depending and trusting on you and you alone. Amen. So before we leave, just wanted to say, um, we're getting ready to go into the summer months and there's a lot of moving parts. We know a lot of y'all going on vacay and doing your thing, fizzle and whatever that is. Um, but we have been doing set up and tear down with a team of about 10 people. And so it's getting done, but if we can use more. Amen. So, uh, if, if you, if you, amen. Amen, sister. Amen. Um, if, if we just need you, um, especially if you are maybe new and you're like, man, this is my church. Come on in here and come on serve. You don't got to be an official covenant member to start serving yet. And some of y'all who've been figuring it out for two years, y'all come on in here and get in here. So, all right, Shawnee, come on. Sean, coming up. If you'd raise your hands for the benediction, this is from Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Love you. See you next week. Bring a picture.